All right, today we're going to be uh, zooming through Ecclesiastes. We're actually kind of skipping chapter 4. We're going up into chapter 5, so we're going to be in chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Now, we're going, I, I left chapter 4 kind of behind because it, it repeats a lot of the same themes, uh, but we do have some more stuff coming about chapter 4 a little later. Uh, you'll understand when we get there. But today we're going to be in chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, and today's sermon is called uh, Dealing with Church. Dealing with Church, because church is very, it can be very interesting for us to deal with. It can be, uh, well... Church is actually responsible for making a ton of atheists. Church is responsible for making many atheists. Can I get an amen? Amen. I I think there's been churches that I've walked into that I was like, this is not a fun time. This is not inviting. This is not, I don't think this is what God is like. (laughs) I walked into churches and felt that. Um, And a lot of organizations and groups call themselves churches and have nothing to do with God at all. And then some really do know God, but they, um, they have a lot of other stuff going on. And so we need to learn how to deal with church. And that's what Solomon's going to talk with us today uh, about dealing with church. So again, I said, church is responsible for making many atheists. And you know what? Jesus agrees with that statement. So the first thing we're going to look at today is Matthew chapter 23, verse 15, where Jesus is talking to religious leaders, or you could say leaders of the church of his day. And he said to you, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. That's a big word for someone who uh, is converted and becomes a member of your church, you could say. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Jesus, dang, he knows what, how, to, how to bring it, right? He, he says religious people can create more religious people, but religious people aren't going to heaven, is what Jesus says. Going to heaven, Jesus says, has nothing to do with being religious, You've heard us say that we don't believe in a religion, we have a relationship. And that's very common, but it's it's very true and very real. Religion doesn't save people, Jesus does. I'm not religious. Jesus wasn't religious, but I am completely devoted to and in love with Jesus. That's the difference between religion in a relationship. Um, because he loved me first. He died for me. And he offers me life when I deserve nothing but death. That's what I deserve. I saw a bumper sticker that said, I'm okay with Jesus. It's all his followers I can't stand. That's a pretty truthful bumper sticker. Now, what do we do about this? Do we argue with that person who has that bumper sticker on their car and say, you know what, you know, let's argue about this. You have, you have a wrong perspective. Do we try to c- convince them that they're wrong? Do we abandon church altogether? What do we do? Well, that's what we're going to consider today as we study dealing with church. And by the way, Solomon is the guy who wrote 
Ecclesiastes that we are talking about today, and he built pretty much the greatest church ever. It was called the Temple, Solomon's Temple, okay? Uh, so as we were thinking about this, remember that Solomon built the t- his temple, and that is, you know, so he has some authority to talk about church and the house of God. By the way, where was Solomon's temple located? On the side of his head, duh. His temple, got it. It was good, right? Anatomy joke, Okay. All right, so let's start uh, reading. We'll, re- we'll read our whole section here, verses 1 through 7 of chapter 5, and see what happens. Walk prudently when you go into the house of God. That's what Solomon says. Walk wisely or prudently. And draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error or mistake, or basically, I can't do what I said I would do. I can't keep the law like I promised I would. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and in many words, there is also vanity, but fear God. All right, so that's the section that we're going to be talking through today. So let's go back to the beginning and and look at it and uh, cut it up and and take a look at it. Walk prudently when you go into the house of God, he says. Why must we be careful when we go to church, when we're going to church? He says we need to draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. All right, so there are a lot of fools in church, okay? Number one, this is why we need to be careful and wise when we go to church, because there's a lot of fools in church. You could call fools sinners. Yeah, there's a lot of sinners in church. Did you know that? Every single one of us, right? And Solomon contrasts the fool from the wise at church. And he says, actually, there's both of these at church. There's fools and wise. And uh, Jesus said that this would happen. There's going to be real believers, and then there's going to be fakers, hypocrites. But when you go to church, you're just going to see them all clumped together, and you're going to be like, why is this happening? Well, Jesus tells us, back in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells us a parable about this, verse 24. He says this, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares or weeds uh, among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain sprouted and produced a crop, the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came to him and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares or weeds? 
He said to them, an enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, no, no, I don't. Lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first go and gather the tares and bind the bundles to burn them and gather the wheat into my barn. All right, so there Jesus tells a parable of what Solomon is talking about, that there's two groups of people in every church. You have the wheat and you have the weeds. The wheat are the people who were called by God and planted by God. And, and you have the weeds are people who are there that the enemy has actually planted. The enemy has convinced them to go to church. And uh, they are there causing problems, okay? Sometimes we think that no weeds grow in our house, in our field, right? But that's arrogant. That's naive, and that's prideful to think that no weeds can grow. Um, which, by the way, Sherlock Holmes was doing some gardening. And Watson asked what he was planting in his garden. And he replied, a lemon tree, my dear Watson. Did you not know that? Elementary, my dear. Okay, good. Sometimes we can think, there's no weeds here. Or, how about this? There's no weeds welcome here. That philosophy leads to weeding out people, narrowing down membership lists, and only inviting those people who you think are worthy to get in. It makes church into like a country club. Uh, These people, this, this first group of people, they're surprised that they're sinners in church. But that's not the reality. There's going to be lots of sinners in church when you go to church. And Solomon says you need to know about it. Jesus says, I know about it. There's lots of sinners in church. And you don't know which ones are wheat that just haven't gotten cleaned up yet and which ones are weeds. So Jesus would say, I'll take care of it at the end. I'll sort them out. You just love them, take care of them, and I will Take care, I will take care of it at the end. The second thing that we need to be careful about, careful about when we go to church is that there's going to be a lot of hypocrites in church. And so instead of saying there's sinners in church, this would be saying that there's a lot of sin in church. Okay, a hypocrite is someone who says they follow God. Maybe they go to church, and yet they say or do things that dishonor God and does not show love to their neighbors. This tempts us to just stop going to church and stop relating to God, stop connecting with God. And when we're, when we're not aware that there's going to be hypocrites in church, we're surprised to find sin in church. We're surprised when people have a bad day and treat us poorly. But if we're wise, like the preacher, the guy Solomon, we will know that there is both sin and sinners in church. We won't be surprised by it. We will walk carefully into it. Well, you're saying that's dumb. Why don't we just all stop going to church? Then we don't have to deal with any of this stuff. Why even come at all? And that is a good question. And Solomon has an answer for that, okay? A, 
Jesus says he loves his church, and he asks us to do the same. Jesus says his church is his family, and uh, even the weird ones, he loves them very much. B, we were made for community. Even from the beginning, even in Eden, we were made from, for community. And if you don't connect with a family at church, uh, some, make some friends at church, you are going to go somewhere else for that connection because we all have this deep need to connect with people. So you will try something else like the internet or clubs or many other things you are going to try to find that connection. But you will find one thing in all of those places. Guess what? There is sin and sinners there also. So no matter where you go, there will be problems with your community that you choose. So in pain or protest, people will isolate themselves. Some people say, fine, I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to go to clubs. I'm not going to go to the grocery store. I'm not going anywhere. And so they isolate themselves. But then loneliness haunts everyone. We find out that even by ourselves, we aren't that great of company. We start arguing with ourselves. Remember Smeagol? And Gollum, and his arguments, do you know what Gollum's name is? By the way, do you know what Gollum's name is if he was from Mexico? Or Smeagol's name is if he was from Mexico? Smeagwell. Gosh, I butchered that one, but oh well. I wrote it down wrong. Darn it. Okay. So there's our problem. We were made... For community, that's how God created us, and worship, just like Adam and Eve. But everywhere we turn, we see that sin has screwed it up, messed it up. We, we need to know this is truth as we enter into the house of God, which is church. It isn't going to be perfect. Here's the church, the truth, sorry. Church can hurt people and has In fact, at one point in history, a bunch of pastors decided they wanted to start an army and go fight a war, and they called it the Crusades, and it lasted like 300 years. And they went and gathered people from church and went and fought a war. Obviously, none of that was what the Bible taught, and these pastors were completely, I have words for that, they were bad. They would not represent the heart of God, but it happened. And because it's made up of people who are all infected with the same disease called sin, uh, we tend to get a little fleshy sometimes, selfish, self-centered. And that's when and how we hurt each other when we get selfish. But it's not like it's different from any part of the rest of the world. It's, there's still that going on everywhere. So talking about it is healthy Badgering people to come to church while ignoring their pain and what they've gone through isn't healthy. 
it makes sense that anyone would feel skittish about being part of a community that might hurt them. It makes sense when we've been hurt. Yet, the invitation remains, come with me into this scary place and see what you might find there. Because God does have something for us, something beautiful. God wants to give us grace to be a part of his church because there's a great hidden treasure there in in his church. There's precious and delicious fruit, but there's also many pitfalls. There's thieves, there's crazy people, there's false prophets. There are weeds in the field, and we need to know about them. So there was this guy named William Lobdell, and he wrote a book called Losing My Religion. Anyone ever heard of it? He was a New York Times journalist, and he was actually the journalist that was responsible for reporting on churches all around America. And so he, at one time, was part of church, but then he identified and traveled all around the the nation identifying all the problems in all the churches. He wrote, wrote them all down. And then he looked at it and said, I'm never going to go to church again, and I don't believe in God anymore. He identified all the sin. He identified all the foolery, we could call it. All the fools and all the foolery, all the stuff that was going on. And he wrote a book called Losing My Religion. And his conclusion to seeing all the messed up stuff was, we should all stop going to church. Okay? Well, Solomon, in our book that we're studying, Ecclesiastes, identifies all the exact same things that William Lobdell identified in his book. But Solomon comes to a different conclusion. Instead of abandoning church, Solomon says, you just simply need to be wise when going to church because there is a worthwhile treasure there, but you have to be wise to find it, and, you, and you're going to have to deal with some stuff to, to find it. So instead of quitting church or yelling at church, we should cultivate a way of life that recovers what the church and what the house of God was meant to be. The church was meant to be something beautiful and wonderful and fulfilling. And we can either just say, ah, forget it, I'm never going to go back. Or we can say, I want to be a part of being what the church should be. How would we do that? Well, Solomon said in our verse that we're looking at, this first one, he said, when you go into the house of God. Solomon says we should do it regularly, like an athlete that practices or a painter, an artist working diligently at their skill. He says, Practice makes perfect, and we should go to church. Sometimes practices are boring. Sometimes if you're practicing like the guitar, it's boring to go through the same things over and over again. Sometimes whatever you want to get good at, practice is boring, but practice makes perfect. Sometimes practice is difficult. If you want to be a a top-tier athlete, You're going to go through a lot of pain, but it is worth it. And the same thing is true in the house of God. It is worth it. Sometimes it's going to be boring, and sometimes it's going to be difficult. But Solomon says, 
just keep going back. So going to church isn't, isn't unique. It's part of a healthy routine. It's not like it's something that we should just do once a year or something, but make it part of your routine. Um, and don't, don't expect it to be that crazy, spectacular, one-of-a-kind experience every single week. Um, some churches do their absolute best to make church like this experience that you'll never forget. So they have lasers and smoke and techno music, lots of it, which is fine. I love techno, but they try their best to make it like big and grand and, and get you really emotionally stirred up. But Solomon says the right way to handle church is just to make it a regular part of your life and routine and let it foster a relationship with God and with God's family. And relationships aren't always fireworks. In fact, relationships that you could describe as fireworks are often very shallow relationships, right? And God has designed us to have deep relationships. And so that's what church is there to provide and designed to be. But there's still foolery in church. There's sin and sinners abounding. And uh, Solomon would say, don't counter these people by fighting church or quitting church, but by wisely participating and engaging at church. So what is the right way to go to church? Well, he tells us here in our text. He says, draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth and do not let your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. When we go to church, we go there to learn a valuable skill of holding our tongue and quieting our hearts. Does that mean you can't say anything or when you see something wrong, you don't speak up? No, not at all. Instead of making it about us when we go to church and about what our purpose is and what we need, we find out that church already has a purpose. When you, before you even come, the church has a purpose. And the church already has a being that is, he needs nothing. He doesn't need you here. He doesn't need anything. And our task is then not, is to surrender to him and receive what he wants to give us. Some people come to church thinking it's all about what can church do for me or what I need, what, what, what wisdom I can share with the people at church. But it's really about God's relationship with us. So being a wise church member or attender is about growing in humility and becoming a humble listener being patient, being willing to, willing to participate in relationships that take work. That is the opposite of what Solomon calls haste. Haste. Being in a hurry and being selfish is haste. And he says that isn't going to work in church. Guys, get this. Have you ever noticed that church is awkward? Isn't that great? Sometimes church is really awkward. There's an awkward silence. 
you don't understand what's going on, and so you feel awkward. You don't know the people, and so you feel awkward. There's a lot of awkwardness, and guess what? That's okay just to be awkward. Because being awkward and being in awkward situations teaches us that we don't know everything, that we are uncomfortable because we like being in control. And when things seem out of control, we start to freak out just ever so slightly. Right? And we have a choice. We can either say, I hate those awkward feelings. I hate those awkward moments. And so I'm going to, I'm going to not go and put myself in that position. And God would say, I wish you would. Because it's in those moments that I come and speak peace into your heart. And it's in those moments that I come and I will help you understand that I'm with you and that you don't have to be in control. But I am in control. And I love you. It teaches us things are uncomfortable at church sometimes. Sometimes church talks about things that are uncomfortable. Sometimes the pastor says things are uncomfortable. Sometimes there's just weirdos, and it's uncomfortable. And God says, that's what we're here for, to make you uncomfortable. And it's okay. In fact, when churches design themselves to make everything comfortable, when churches do their best to make no uncomfortable situations, to be really seeker-sensitive, you would call it, what happens is that the, is, there's just nothing deep going on. Everything gets really surface and shallow. So sometimes we'll ask each other, how are you doing? And the answer is, fine. Okay? That's, I don't want you to be uncomfortable. My life sucks, but I don't want you to be uncomfortable. Sometimes we say, how are you doing? And the answer is, I had a horrible week and I feel like giving up on God. And I feel like God has given up on me. Wow, if you got that response, that's an invitation to a deeper relationship where you can come alongside that brother or sister and say, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. Let me bear your burdens. Let me come alongside you. Let me love on you and let's pray and let's see what God will do. And there we go. That's an uncomfortable situation that God used for good. Why does this all matter? We come to a weird church with weird people and weird situations, and God is using it in life. Why does it matter? Because church is the house of God. God is presented for us to consider and to adore when we come to church. This is designed to be a place where he wants to speak to you and he wants you to enjoy his presence, to be with him. We go to church to honor God. We come to hear him and to obey him, to learn about him, to question him. And these things are incredibly big and important things. And we are the ones who need it. And we are the ones who are transformed by it. When God is present, his true people become quieter. And not because of fear or abuse, but because... We are in the very presence of good and power and beauty and wisdom, and we want to simply absorb it. That's how his wise people do it. That's when he says, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Most people, however, fear 
losing their dreams, their approval of others, their opportunities to promise something to God that they're surely going to break next week. And all these things are different ways that we can show our pride, our pride. Um, and this, so this part, this next part that I'm going to go through, I'm going to say the word pride after something that's prideful that he's describing. So, so Solomon's teaching us that there's the humble people who come in and, and they want to connect with God. And so they're not there to really say much. They're there to connect with him, to learn and adore him. Then there's the people that come with pride. So he says, for a dream comes through much activity. So much activity is pride. When I think I need to do a lot of stuff to get things done for God, to earn God's approval or to impress other people, that's pride. Much activity, he says. Oh, I got a dream. God says, why don't you listen to my dream? I got a plan. He says, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. Solomon says many words are pride. Be quiet and listen to God's wisdom. When you make a vow to God, which is pride, you ever done that? God, I will never do this thing again. How fast do you do it again? Like a day, maybe a week if you're lucky. He says, if you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. But then he says, you're all going to stink at that. You're never going to do it. So it's better to not vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin. So your mouth can be prideful and saying, ah, I am a really good Christian, everybody. Look at what I'm going to do. I'm going to give lots of money to the church. I'm going to do lots of good things. And I'm going to tell everybody at church about all the good things I do. And that's pride. That's not what church is for. It says, nor say before the messenger of God, that's the pastor, that it was an error. Oh, it was just a mistake that I, I, I promised that I would be a good person and I'm not. For in the multitude, or sorry, why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? There's pride again. For in the multitude of dreams, pride, and many words, pride, there is also vanity. He says, but fear God. What is God so angry at? What is Solomon addressing here? Those, what God is angry about, so God is, is kind of ticked off about something when it comes to church. People who use church to do their own thing. God's not happy about that. People who use church to hurt people. God is really unhappy about that. People who use church to keep people away from his grace but they teach a different way to get to draw near to god usually it's a law of some sort if you keep these rules that we've come up with god will accept you god is very angry about that god has set up a way to know him and it's through what jesus has done not what you do and god is very serious about it He's angry when people try to keep people away from his grace. In other words, God opposes the proud. If you look at that poster over there, James 4, 6, it says God resists or opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So the whole thing that, what, you know, this is why we're doing what we're doing. These things really bother God when people 
pervert his church to be about themselves or about their philosophy that doesn't actually connect people with God. Everyone who has been hurt or victimized by people in a church are happy to hear these words, that God is angry about the same things that they're angry about. You are not crazy. God is not happy about those events either. He sees what happened, and he will soon judge it because he says judgment will begin in the house of God. God knows what you've gone through. God knows what you've experienced. Another point is that we can't think that we are fooling God by going to church and looking religious. Matthew 23, which we've already referenced today, is a whole chapter about hypocrisy in church. In, and uh, so if you think that you can go to church but fake it, and you, there's, a, there's a whole chapter written for you. Um, Spurgeon, there's a Spurgeon quote, Spurgeon quote, Spurgeon quote. Um, he said this, my friends, it is one thing to go to church or chapel is quite another thing to go to God. And that's the, really the key of what we're talking about here today. If you go to church just for any other reason except to connect with God, um, it's, it's, some, it's, it's messed up. That's not the way it's supposed to work. There should be no manipulation in any church. People should be free to seek God, to learn about God, to question God, and to have those questions answered by his word. To pray to God and to celebrate God without ever being asked for money. And we have never asked for money, and we never will. Amen, right? And not that it's always a bad thing for when someone asks for money, but we won't. And we've been around for seven years, and God has paid every single one of our bills, and he's always paid my salary, and God has provided everything we've ever needed. And we've never needed to ask for money, but we've asked God. And God says, I'll provide. We don't need to prove ourselves when we go to church. We don't need to justify ourselves, or we don't even need to change ourselves. All of that will simply distract us from the star of the show, which is God. This is his house. It's dedicated to his glory. And we, we actually leave ourselves behind when we enter here. We're free from having to make ourselves look good. This is why, this is where, excuse me, we are found and not where we have to find something. It's about him, not about you here. Think back to the first church. Do you know where the first church was? In the Garden of Eden. That was the first church. Everything was part of God's house there. Every tree, every bush, every rock, every animal, all of it was a place where man met with and joyfully celebrated God in all his glory. It was perfect. There was no fights. There was no sickness. There was no death. Nothing out of tune and nothing boring. God was all in all. And that is what church is meant to be still today. A place where we can draw near to God knowing that we are whole and we are home. It's designed to be your family. 
closer than even your blood family. And if you think about it, God has kept a house in our graffiti-filled neighborhoods all across the world. He, I know that we're not in Eden anymore, but God has kept a house in our neighborhood. He pays for it, he maintains it, and he supplies everything that the church needs because it pleases him. Still, people have seen the worst of church. People have seen churches that offered nothing more than man-made walls filled with political maneuvering, relational difficulties, cruel misjudgments, demean, uh, dismissing of questions, pursuing forgiveness only for a select few after we have, you know, do enough good to receive it. And some people love it that way. We like the privileges it preserves for us when we look good. For others, the house of God is boredom, draped in trite sayings, carpeted with irrelevance, and painted with the pretensions of the seething who smile and the clueless who just say nice sayings. And Jesus agrees with all of that. He says in Mark chapter 11, verse 17, he taught them saying, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. In Jesus' day, all the nations were not allowed into church. And if they were, they were segregated, like first class and coach on an airplane people being overlooked and treated poorly was the normal way of church and not prayer and connecting with God and inviting people into a deeper relationship with God. No, it was excluding them. For Jesus, church was not about people getting power, had nothing to do with that, or people being treated poorly or unfairly or money or anything else. It was simply and always about people getting connected with God. That's what he said it was supposed to be about. In his whole life, he dedicated to making this real. And he was so passionate about his appeal that this would happen. Please let, it, let my house be a house of prayer for all nations. He was so committed to that mission of saving all people and connecting them with God and restoring the fellowship between God and man like it was in the Garden of Eden. God doesn't want anyone to be disconnected with him. And Jesus had that heart. It was about the people. It's supposed to be a place where God meets with his children and walks with them through their lot in life, all the different things that they have to go through, if you remember last week, encourages them in their trouble and is there with them as they celebrate their joys. Anyone should have this access to God, no matter what, no matter how good or bad or rich or poor. And that's how we have access to God, not through pride, but as James 4, 6 says, God gives 
grace to the humble. And we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So it's humility and faith that is our side of walking into church. Are we going to come with humility saying, I need you, God? And then are we going to exercise faith saying, I'm going to trust you, God? That is all God has ever wanted or needed of you. And what his response is, is to give us all that we could ever need or want or are commanded to walk in and become. Access to God is never by politics. It's never by works or by clothes or by the color of your skin. So why would we ever waste a minute talking about those things? We shouldn't. But it's always by sacrifice. By the life of Jesus freely offered on the cross and received by wicked, sinful people. We are given access into God. We are made children of God. We are invited to know God deeply. And that's what church should always be about. We should always talk about one thing, what Jesus did for you. People truly, intimately connecting with God through what Jesus has done for them. That's what church is about. That's the definition of what it should be. Is this why you come to church? To connect with God, your maker, through Jesus? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, But now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul says peace with God or this family environment is only found through what Jesus has done for you. All the blessings that God has for you are found in a connection with him, in a relationship with him. He is the source of all that we need and all that we're called to be or ever could want or ever could have is all through him. How does that work? Well, when you believe in your heart that Jesus paid for your sin on the cross, which is what we tell you every Sunday, then you, once you believe, you are freely forgiven. You are in. It's done. There is nothing else you have to do but believe that Jesus sacrificed himself for you. That's it. Once you believe, there's all kinds of things that it's like getting yourself on a train track and there's all kinds of stops on this train that will happen in your life. You will confess what you believe. You will tell people, I believe and I'm so happy, I believe. You will start to be transformed. At some point after you believe, you will say, I want to do what Jesus told me to do. Your heart will change, your desires will change, and you will start to do the things, but it never comes first. None of that comes first. The first and only thing that we are responsible for is to believe that Jesus loved you and died on the cross for you. Once you are forgiven, once you believe, you have every right to everything that a child of God has right to in the family of God. 
You can bring all your needs to him and he promises to provide. You, you can bring your pain to him and he promises to understand and comfort and heal. You can bring your sorrow and he will comfort you and love you. You can bring your questions and he will answer you. Because that's what a father does with a child. And he always does that. Your heart will be filled with love and purpose and your value will be in what he has done for you and never what you have had to do for him. And you will never have your identity be how you have failed, but it will always be what God has done for you. That's what church should be about. May God's church here be filled with all the fullness of God. May we be, re- be reflection of all of his beauty and all of his goodness. May we fear hiding our sin instead of confessing it. May we see his grace poured out in our lives freely. May we be wise and expect to see both sin and sinners and yet lift our hearts to the solution for both, the grace of Jesus. Father, I thank you for your mercy and grace in our lives. I thank you that you have shown us that that you know that church is going to be a difficult, awkward experience sometimes. That relationships take time, work, effort, and are difficult sometimes. But God, you have pursued me and each one of us while we were difficult (laughs) while we were committed to our sin, while we were running away from you, from what was right and what was good, God, you still loved us and you never shut it down on us. God, you have shown us what your heart is and I pray that your church would just be like a a mirror reflecting your heart. I pray that all the churches around the city, our country and even the world all the people who truly know you, Jesus, that they would have no agenda except loving you and loving others. Your great love has um, met us when we were unworthy of it. We are still unworthy of it, Jesus. But you made the choice to sacrifice your life. Father, you sacrificed your own beloved son. Let him be murdered and destroyed on the cross for us. You poured out all the just anger and just punishment for every sin upon Jesus Christ our Lord. And in turn, you turned to us after you were finished punishing him and you said, I want you to go free and I love you. And we deserve none of that. But we can respond to it. We can believe it. And Lord, we now celebrate what you have done. We thank you for inviting us into your church where we can know you, grow in you, ask questions of you. And receive your grace, God. We need it. In your name we pray. Amen. We got a little bit of time here where uh, we're, it's, this is.
your opportunity to connect with God as the church should. So it has nothing to do with anybody else. Every one of you is an individual person. And God knows you. He knows every hair on your head or lack thereof. He knows your needs. He knows how you've been hurt. And he just says, connect with me. I'm here for you. And if there's anything that you need, I'll be sitting uh, up here in the front row and I can pray for you. And I can, if you have any questions for the Lord, I'll be right here and you come up and we can talk if you need to. Everyone else or anyone, uh, we have communion over here in the bowl over here. So you can come up and you can take communion and and connect with God in that way. Uh, But this is a time where everything in the world is going to try to distract you. You're going to start thinking about all that you want to do after church and all that you should do and all that you forgot to do. And hey, if your house burns down, it's okay. If you forgot to turn off the oven and it's all burnt down, we'll help you with that, okay? You don't need to deal with it right now. Right now, God says, why don't we talk, child? Why don't you share with me what's going on in your heart? And uh, if you don't know what to talk to him about, just thank him for all that Jesus has done for you. Okay, so would you guys stand with me as we just begin our time here and um, we'll sing these songs. Go ahead, guys.